Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, friends. Great to have you with me here on the Buck Sexton Show. And look, let's all let's all just take a little victory lap. Let's all just let it let it sink in for a moment. Mike Pence gets an A. Great job. Great job in the debate last night. Honestly, I thought substantially more effective than, than even I had anticipated. I thought he was going to be pretty good. But this was a reminder that Pence is an undervalued asset of the Trump administration, at least in many people's eyes. This guy has been a steady hand, competent, solid, but also gentlemanly, respectful. He's a great, a great yin yang, a great contrast, you know, counterpart to Trump because of all this. And Kamala was, how do we put this gently? A disaster, a disaster. But that shouldn't surprise anyone. As I've been saying to you, she wasn't strong even in the Democrat primary at all. Nobody thought that she was doing a good job then. But so how do you know that the Democrats are particularly worried about all this? How do you know that the Democrat Party doesn't feel like things went their way last night? Just by all the whining today, all the nonsense and the misdirection, he was mansplaining. They're saying that a lot. Vice presidential debates don't matter. Let's remember, there's sexism in our politics. Voters aren't ready for an assertive woman and time to change the debate format. These are talking points coming from Democrats in the media that roughly translate to our side got crushed last night. Let's just pretend that never happened. Now, look, the polls are all still showing Biden ahead in a lot of swing states. And, you know, if the election were held today, the pollsters would have you believe it's likely Biden would win. I don't believe that personally. I think that they'll be wrong again. Or they'll, they'll all magically be within the margin of error, but always in the margin of error favoring Biden. That's what they like to do. Well, it's up, you know, it's a, it's a two-point race, but everyone thinks Biden's up two points, and it's a two- to three-point margin of error. No, I don't see that. The, Dem- the, uh, the vice presidential debate, as bad as it was for the Democrats, is, is not going to change the course of this election, most likely. But this is, at the, on the other hand, also all about just those those small slices of the of the electorate, right? The voters out there who are thinking, look, I, I just want and, and I don't say this with any with any disrespect or any judgment. I understand there, there are going to be people out there who are who are good folks who are responsible and you know worthwhile, productive members of their community, wherever we're talking about in Florida and Ohio and Michigan and and New Hampshire and so on and so forth. Uh, and they're just saying, look, wh- whoever's going to bring back the economy the best, that's who I'm voting for. I don't care about anything else. I, I understand that. I-, I-, I don't agree necessarily that's the way people should view politics, but I can understand how people would feel that way. And for that group, for those that are going into this looking for who would do a better job on issues of actual management of the United States government and the economy, I don't think you could have watched last night's debate and come away thinking anything other than so the Democrats are evasive, dishonest and incompetent. That's really what you're getting. And there's been so much effort from the Democrat aligned media to try to convince people that that's not true. But 
You could see it last night. No, in fact, they want you to believe that Donald Trump is terrible. He's basically Hitler. His vice president is 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 a is a stooge and has no thoughts of his own, doesn't do it. They say all these horrible things about him all the time. But when they can't be the ones who are just writing the narrative, when they can't be staring into the prompters on CNN and MSNBC doing the work of the DNC while pretending to be journalists, all the rest of us sit around and, and see what's really happening and realize that this is a weak Democrat ticket, folks. It's weak. It is. And that has not always been the case. Uh, and I'm not judging that from what I think or like. It's what the American people want from an administration. These Democrats are not going to provide that. So they're trying to convince people they're something other than what they actually are. And the, the biggest wins, and we'll go through some of the specifics on the policies and, and the exchanges, and there were a lot of them, and they were worthwhile in this debate because there were fewer interruptions and the moderator wasn't trying to do an audition for NBC News because she was already at C-SPAN, so what difference does it make? Uh, th there were some good moments, but the, the best single thing, I mean, the one issue where you knew that they had to push, and it didn't come from the moderator, it should be noted. It came from Pence. He teed this up. He followed up. He made it very clear. They will simply not tell you. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and the DNC will not allow you to know, will not make a claim on either side of whether they will pack the Supreme Court. And that's just really all you have to know. Here's Kamala trying to dance around it, trying to avoid addressing the issue. Play clip nine. Court. Yeah, Thank let's you. talk about packing the court then. Let's talk about the Please. fact. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to. So the Trump-Pence administration has been, because I sit on the Senate Judiciary Committee, Susan, as you mentioned, and I've witnessed the appointments for lifetime appointments to the federal courts, district courts, courts of appeal. People who are purely ideological, people who have been reviewed by, by legal professional organizations and found to have been not competent are substandard. And do you know, that of the 50 people who President Trump appointed to the Court of Appeals for lifetime appointments, not one is black. This is what they've been doing. You want to talk about packing a court? Let's have that discussion. <laughs> That's amazing. People should listen to that answer on a vice presidential debate stage for years to come about what, what you don't want to do as a politician. Pretend that you're being earnest, pretend that you're being forthcoming, and then for everyone to see, show them that you're actually just completely full of it. Let's let's have that conversation. You were asked a question. You're not asked a question as to whether you would like to have the conversation. You were asked yes or no. Would your administration or the administration you'd be a part of as the vice president, although really should probably be the guy. I mean, sorry, the gal running things. Um, what, what do you think? Would you do this? wouldn't give an answer they will not answer how can you trust a presidential ticket that on an issue as massive as packing the supreme court which people brought up until now even on the left as you know fdr was threatening to do this and that would have been really norm busting and tyrannical and undoing our system and 
and changing the balance of powers and everything else. Uh, how can you get away with not answering that question? There's no there's no reason other than they don't want to tell their base they won't upend the system and remake it in the image of the radical left. And they definitely don't want to tell independent swing state voters. Yeah, we're full of it. We actually will do whatever we have to do in the pursuit of power. Whatever we have to do, we will do. And that doesn't sit well with folks, especially when you've had years now of Democrats saying that Trump is undermining our sacred institutions. They are trying to remake, to destroy and then remake our sacred institutions. By the way, not that they're really sacred either. I don't even like that term. Uh, But there was that evasion. Then there were other things. The lies that came out. uh, Pence squarely, for, for anyone who is not utterly delusional, last night, Vice President Pence destroyed the lie that Donald Trump said that there were good people on both sides and also pointed out that this is a man who has uh, who has Jewish grandchildren. But the left keeps calling him a neo-Nazi. They think that that's in any way fair or sensible or or acceptable. And it's not. I mean, they're, they're disgusting. Um, they are disgusting, but that's what they're doing. And I thought Pence was excellent on that issue. I mean, he crushed the vile lie about Trump's Charlottesville comment once and for all for anyone who's not suffering from stage five Trump derangement syndrome. And I wish the president had been able to lay into it when he was going up against Biden the last time around. But at least Pence got to it last night. We also saw what I've been saying all along, and it's just objective It's just obvious at this point. It's uh, something that you would pick up on very quickly. Kamala Harris is just not very likable. She is a product of California machine politics. She's never had to appeal to people who aren't solid left wing Democrats. She's never had to appeal to moderates or swing voters. She just figured out who the power players were. In some ways that were also unethical that no one even brings up anymore, but she figures out who the power players were and ensconced herself in the Democrat apparatus of California and just sort of worked her worked her way up by befriending the right people, making the right allies and running in the safest of safe places to be a left wing Democrat, particularly one who's a minority female, because, as we know, diversity, they don't just say it's a strength on the left anymore. I mean, diversity is a is a requirement for many things. California just made diversity, meaning racial uh, and ethnic diversity, a requirement for company boards that are set up in California. You have to have at least one minority board member in California now. So Kamala comes from that left wing machinery of the Democrat Party. She's never had to be in a really tough race. She's never had to convince people that don't agree with every poll tested political consultant uh, created phrase that comes out of her mouth and it was there for all to see last night and no one could cover for her there was no one to bail her out and she wasn't very nice either she's just not that likable now maybe as a person one-on-one i mean i don't know i've never met the lady maybe she's fine i have no idea but we're talking about her political persona we're talking about the way that she is perceived by those who are supposed to vote for her to put her in a position of power and leadership and 
Truth is, she kind of makes Hillary look likable. Hello? He really thinks that uh, people thought that Hillary was about as untakeable, unlikable as one could be. But no, I think Kamala actually was in some ways even more so just because she hasn't even had to be through the battles. She hasn't even really had to be through the political fights. Feels like it was all kind of handed to this person. And now she's just been handed the vice presidency so she could be handed the presidency. You're like, what? What has she done to earn any of this? Why? It was a very kind of interchangeable prosecutor and then made the right friends in the Democrat power circles and became a state attorney general and ran for Senate. And now she's going to be vice president based on what? What's her big policy issue? What's your now? Perhaps we're digging in too much on the the holes in Kamala's record or just the lack of of an impressive record. But also. She was a representative of the Biden ticket last night. And when you allow somebody to represent Joe Biden's political campaign and you actually force them to answer some questions or at least pose real questions to them, it's all very flimsy. It all falls apart very rapidly. And that's what you saw on that stage. One of my favorites uh, is the issue of fracking. Because you know where fracking uh, really... You don't want to talk about banning fracking in places like uh, Pennsylvania. Not good. Not a good not a good move. So what do the Democrats do when they come up against a difficult position that they've taken in the past now when they can present it to the full view of the American people? Oh, we'll get into that. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. There's certainly more policy to discuss, and and I want to do that with you today from the the takeaways from from this debate. But first, can we just have some fun with the, oh, Kamala is, is wonderful media? She's really, her core constituency is the editorial page of the New York Times. And if you're wondering, who are the biggest Kamala supporters People who work for establishment media, uh, people who are big producers in Hollywood, left wing hedge fund managers. They they love Kamala. They think she's great. She's great. But just normal Americans. And I'm talking about Democrats now. They're like, nah, not so much. Sorry, not into it. And the media now has to do this whole act where they come up with explanations for why it was such a, a tremendously lackluster performance last night. Here is uh, Fake Tapper explaining, you know, try, try to come up with a, a rationale for why Kamala got crushed. I mean, straight up trounced in that debate. Play two. I wonder if a woman candidate feels like she can't push as much or well, steamroll as much as, say, Mike Pence can for fear of seeming Mm -hmm. and offending some segment of the electorate. I'm not saying it should be that way, but I'm wondering if it is that way. Yeah, I'm just asking questions like maybe it's sexism. I'm just asking questions, though. You know, just just asking questions, just just floating an idea, just putting out some analysis. I'm a straight reporter, man. I'm I don't do opinion. You don't do clean up on aisle seven for Kamala's disastrous performance, because that's what that sounds like. Oh, she can't be assertive enough. She was nasty to him. 
to Pence at different parts during the debate. And I, I think she thought because of what we had seen with President Trump that maybe she'd be able to goad Pence into the same kind of I, look. I thought Trump was a little too aggressive in some parts of the last debate. You know that I've said that where it was just counterproductive for him. And that's what I'm really focused on. But now you look at the way that the media is trying to convince people that there was uh, sexism involved here or something like that. It, it's just it's completely absurd. The problem is when Kamala Harris is asked, are you going to ban fracking? She says, absolutely not. When both her and Joe Biden have been like, yeah, fracking is evil. Get rid of it <laughs> on the campaign trail in this election. That's the problem. The problem is she repeats the Charlottesville lie and is so sanctimonious and smug while she does it. And you look at her, you go, what is this? We all have access to the transcript. It's online. You can watch the, the video of that press conference. And you can also just think through, does anyone really believe the president of the United States who wants to uh, stay president, get reelected as president, that, that he's going to openly praise neo-Nazi? Of course not. They don't really think he did that. They just think they can get away with saying he did that, which has been the game, the game all along here. Uh, MSNBC had a comment. You know, there's more of this, of the sexism thing. MSNBC had a commentator who there's so many of them, but he's got to hear some of it. It's kind of fun to hear that. Ah, just ah, I don't know what to do because no, no serious person could watch that debate and think anything other than, well, Kamala was outclassed on presentation and on policy. That's it. Everything else is kind of a waste. Everything else is make believe time. So let's get into some of that make believe time. Here's uh, someone on MSNBC. Never heard of this person before. Play 29. The things that jumped out for me were the way that he seemed extremely uh, misogynistically dismissive of the other two women who were there um, in conversation with him. He talked all over the moderator like she didn't even matter and then certainly had you know a bit of disregard for uh, Kamala Harris and just kept on going, even with a calm tone. And I think that you know he showed himself out to be in a very evangelical way, I'd say, um, someone who is dismissive and disregards women. I didn't like that tone and tenor. Um, I also didn't like the fact that he just lies through his teeth. The guy is responsible for 211,000, um, I think, now deaths due to COVID. He's in charge of the committee. He's responsible for, I mean, how much stupid can you fit into one soundbite is a, is a fair question you could ask me right now. First of all, the misogyny that she claims was there. Vice President Pence, I thought, was, was very gracious and, and quite respectful of Kamala Harris. He started out the debate by saying, honored to be here on the stage with you. He very clearly uh, established a level of respect that I don't think was always reciprocated from Kamala with all the faces and the, you know, the pursing of the lips and the rolling of the eyes and all the things that she was doing when he's talking. I mean, that may play well with the MSNBC audience, but for people who really want to know what these uh, individuals who are who are vying for a very consequential role, very consequential job, uh, they they don't like those kinds of little games. And but then, of course, this commentator at the end says that he's responsible for 200,000 deaths. Does anyone think does anyone think that with a Biden administration? I just want to what, what how many deaths would we have with a Biden administration? I would like to I'd like to know what the Biden supporters think. 10,000. 20,000. Is, is that really what they're going to claim? We're, we're going to have if that were true, we would have by far we'd have a lower death. We'd have a lower death rate per capita population than than any any country in the world. That has actually been hit by this thing. That's over, you know, 10 million people. 
We got 350 million people in this country. They have 20,000 dead in Argentina. So, or 330 million people in this country, I should say. Although how, how many illegals there are is still an open question. Uh, they're, they're living in a fantasy land. That's not surprising, I suppose. Oh, speaking of fantasy land, that's a perfect, that's a perfect transition point here to Mika, who just hates our president, just hates him. Uh, I, who, who turns on the TV in the morning and goes, you know, I really need to know what Mika Brzezinski thinks of something from her deep expertise of having her hair and makeup done and reading off a prompter for many years. I really need to hear what she thinks. I, I just wonder about that. Same thing with Joe Scarborough, by the way. But I, I, I'm curious. I kind of want to meet the person who finds Mika insightful. Or Joe, for that matter. But here she is living in a, in a truly alternative universe. But what else are you going to do? You're a flack. You're a hack. You're there to do a job, which is to promote the Democrat candidate. Here is Mika. Play 30. Oh, I thought Kamala Harris uh, was fabulous. And uh, she was disciplined. She was strong. Um, she kept a fine balance in terms of tone, which you know, would be a challenge for any woman uh, debuting on the national stage like that as a vice presidential candidate. Um, She was reality versus whatever was happening on the other side of the stage. And she really um, used every every skill in her toolbox to to deliver a clear, almost, you know, near perfect performance. She was right on spot on (laughs) a near perfect performance. This is awesome. You know why I made you listen to this? I mean, there's a reason for it. Not not just because I find it amusing, although that's a big a big part of it. That what she just gave you is what the lib hack media that, that that's a perfect. You could use that as an exemplar. That would be the the boilerplate, the template of what you say after debate with a Democrat involved where you're just going to say the same thing about them no matter what because you don't care because you are a cheerleader for them. You are a booster. You are rooting for and actively trying to help them win. This is this is what you would have. This is what you would say if you hadn't seen the debate and you walked on set in the morning. You hadn't even watched a minute of it. But you know you're a, a Democrat. You know you're a phony and a fraud. And you got to support the Democrat candidate no matter what. So that's it. Oh, she was fabulous, disciplined, strong. He said this about, said this about anybody in the day. What about her not answering critical questions and really not answering them? I mean, it was clear that she was like, no, nah, just not going to answer. Sorry. Oh, OK. Um, there was there was nothing about her performance that was fabulous. And there was certainly no reasonable human being who remember reasonable is the caveat there. No reasonable human being who saw that and thought, you know what? Kamala was perfect. Kamala was perfect. Yeah. So perfect that Democrat voters in the primary were like, we have no interest in this person whatsoever. But we appreciate that the New York Times, the Washington Post have tried to foist her upon us. Look, I do believe that for a lot of the journos, they have a a nostalgia. They have a a PTSD from Trump. They have post-traumatic. Actually, it should be PTTD. Post-traumatic Trump syndrome or disorder. Post-traumatic Trump disorder. Uh, That's what they've got. They can't adjust to this new world. They can't deal with this new world. And 
they also have this crippling nostalgia for Obama. And I think our media, which is diversity obsessed and deeply superficial, I mean, our national news media is full of vain, uh, really a bunch of vain, self-loving, but secretly self-loathing idiots. I think that they see some similarities in in background, in presentation, uh, in in storyline between Obama and Kamala. And that for them is enough. That for them is all that is necessary, right? They think that they can maybe get back to the great old days, the eight years of the Obama administration. And so they add her to Biden. And what do you have? Obama 2.0, a third term of the glorious Obama administration. That's to me how we got to this point. Because on skill, on on the electoral map, on any of these other political considerations, you can't look at Kamala and think that this is is really the best they could come up with. That doesn't make any sense. You know, if she were from Ohio, if she were the senator from uh, from Michigan, you know, I would think that there's a distinct possibility. But nope, it's because they want Obama term two. That's what they're going for. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. What about the Green New Deal, folks? Wasn't that the big idea that the Democrats rolled out before COVID that we spent all this time talking about? And, and, and it became something that you could expect to be asked whether, whether climate change was an existential threat. That's a fancy-sounding way. I mean, that's a pseudoscientific way of asking, if you don't do what we want you to do on climate change, you understand that everyone's going to die, right? You understand we're all going to die. From climate change, we are all going to die, as I like to remind everybody. It's important to know that. But we're all going to die from climate change. Um, This is insane. This is a belief for crazy people. But they really think it. They really think that unless, you know, California reduces its carbon emissions by, I don't know, 20% or something, or they change it all. It doesn't matter. Unless Californians start living greener lives and we give the federal government more control over industry, we're all going to die from climate change. So I think it's, it's important for us to understand just how they frame the issue normally, like what they say when they talk about climate change, what are they claiming the downside is? And then beyond that, why would they walk away from it now? I mean, if they've established that it's an existential threat, if I told you that I thought there was something that was truly capable of wiping out the human race. And I really believed that anytime that issue came up, I would say, whatever we have to do to address this, we have to do it without fail, because what could be more important than the uh, the continuation of our species? I, I think it's very hard to find. Right. So they take the, they take it to that level with the rhetoric. They say it's an and they even asked Mike, uh, Mike Pence this last night, the uh, journal, whatever her name was. I don't, I don't remember who cares. Totally uh, replaceable with a thousand other kind of boring journos. Uh, but they asked, is, is, is climate change an existential threat? And sure enough, Mike Pence just kind of said, look, you know, there's some things we need to do. The climate's always changing. I like that, by the way. All you have to do, this is the response. When someone says, do you believe in climate change? You just respond, the climate's always changing. 
It, it, it took us a while to get to something, but it's true. It does not concede what they're looking for you to really concede, which is you're going to do what we say about the climate, right? No, you're saying, yeah, the climate changes. Sure, it does. And it drives libs nuts, which is the best part, which is really one of the biggest reasons that I think it's so clear that everybody should support Donald Trump. If nothing else, and there's a lot of other stuff, but just for the way that it would trigger libs alone, getting Donald Trump four more years to me feels like a great idea. Just for the way that it would make them uh, completely lose their minds, their heads would explode. It's worth it. It's it's worth it. So then there's all these other issues. But on the Green New Deal, Mike, Pre, uh, Mike Pence pointed this out. They're playing another game here where they're saying that Biden's plan is not the Green New Deal. But he also said that it's greatly influenced by the Green New Deal. Well, why not just have it be the Green New Deal? Talking about an existential threat, right? The journo last night even asked about the existential nature of climate change. Pence pointed this one out, and I have to say he was he was quite right in doing so. Play eight. And with regard to banning fracking, I just recommend that people look at the record. You yourself said repeatedly that you would ban fracking. You were the first Senate co-sponsor of the Green New Deal. And while Joe Biden denied the Green New Deal, Susan, thank you for pointing out the Green New Deal is on their campaign website. And as USA Today said, it's essentially the same plan as you co-sponsored with AOC when she submitted it in the Senate. And you just heard the senator say that she's going to resubmit America to the Paris Climate Accord. Look, the, the American people have always cherished our environment. We'll continue to cherish it. We've made great progress reducing CO2 emissions through American innovation and the development of natural gas through fracking. We don't need a massive $2 trillion Green New Deal that would impose all new mandates on American businesses and American families. Of course, we don't need that. But the Democrat left is psychotic about climate change. It's their religion replacement. It's the religion for people who think they're too smart for religion. That's what climate change is. It's a it's a belief about existential nature, right? It's it's a belief about why we're here and the end of days. And it has and then you get more into it, you know, paying for indulgences with the carbon offsets. And, and it is completely set up in a way that it's an analog of a, an actual belief in a creator and God of a religious belief, except the the God is Earth. Right. The, the, the planet, it's like a, it, so in that sense, it's a more early stage or primitive religion where it's earth worship. Uh, that's what you actually have with the climate change belief. But they think it's all science. Isn't that fascinating? They believe it's a deeply uh, a, a deeply scientific and sophisticated belief system. But really, at the end of the day, uh, it's because why are we all here? Oh, oh, we exist to save the planet. And the way we're going to save the planet is by making sure that you can't have a plastic grocery bag. No, you have to have one of those dumbass paper bags that will have a hole in it when you're trying to actually carry some milk and eggs back to your home. That's how we're going to save the planet. These petty idiots think that that's really true. They think that, oh, you know, it's it was the the landfills are filling up too fast and it's we're we're choking all the sea life and. And the CO2 is all over the all over the air. CO2 is less than one percent of the atmosphere. 
and yet they believe that it's going to warm up the whole planet. They, they can't tell you what the warming will actually be, and they can't even measure it accurately 10 years from now. But we're supposed to all change our lives because of what's going to happen 100 years from now. I know. I, I don't want to get too deep into the how climate change is insane. But the more obvious thing, and I mean climate change catastrophist, this notion that if we don't do everything the left wants us to do, we're all going to die. And I, that's really it. We're all going to die. I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. Well, I mean, it is kind of funny, but I'm not exaggerating. That's what they say. Unless people believe in the scientific wisdom of AOC, I mean, I remember in college, I mean, there were people I knew, guys and girls, uh, who were like AOC and that they were the dumb kid in the class who still spoke a lot and thought everyone should listen to them. I, I've been around people like that who have a tremendous and unearned confidence in their intellectual abilities and have no self-awareness that they're way beyond their their knowledge and, and their understanding and that's what AOC is on climate. That's why she had the staffers, right? And this was where we got cow farts. Remember that? We got to stop the cow farts. And oh, no, that was in a, a working paper that wasn't supposed to be released. Sure. Sure it was. No, the truth is, if you believe in climate change catastrophe, then you have to also understand that you have to get rid of meat. And there have been Democrats who even say this. I, I believe it was at one of the town halls, which were just kind of in-kind donations, to Democrats that CNN and these other channels do where I think I think it was Kamala Harris who was asked about whether we should consider banning meat because of the climate change. And she was like, yeah, yeah, that's a really, really interesting, which, again, is what the this is what a professor does when you're saying something that's dumb, but the professor's not trying to be mean. So that's a really that's a really uh, interesting perspective, they'll say. Right. Which is a, a kind way of saying what kind of garbage are you saying? But I don't know, maybe Kamala would want to ban meat if that would get her enough votes and enough donations. Because methane from cows, look, I know it's so dumb that it's hard to even talk about this out loud, but it's true. Methane from cows uh, creates much greater damage to the uh, to the atmosphere and the environment and causes much more warming than what you get from a whole lot of other areas where they're focusing in on CO2. So. They've been wrong about this. They're going to be talking about this for another 50 years. I mean, this is not going away. And in 50 years, they're going to keep saying every 10 years we'll be told we have 10 years before it's too late to fix this. And then in 10 years, they'll just, you know, enough time will have elapsed that people will forget that 10 years ago they were saying, look, it's this is maybe just the circuitry or the wiring of certain human brains, but this is the way it's going to be. This is how it will play out. Oh, and. Another area where we were, were treated to a, a Democrat fantasy land version of, of what's really going on uh, on what will happen. This was a question in the debate. Now, we were so we were so burned. I know many of us were expecting it, but we were so burned by Chris Wallace being so far in the tank for Joe Biden uh, that I think this debate moderator and Jesse Kelly and I talked about this last night on on the first uh, that this debate moderator was just not as horrible. So you want to think, OK, I guess she's all right. But one of the questions that they asked was, what do you do if Donald Trump doesn't accept the results of the election? What do you do if Donald Trump doesn't accept the results? Who, who thinks that's going to happen? What evidence is there for that actually being a, a serious concern? And Vice President Pence did a very good job dealing with this issue play 11 
But when you talk about accepting the outcome of the election, um, I, I must tell you, Senator, your party has spent the last three and a half years trying to overturn the results of the last election. It's amazing. When Joe Biden was vice president of the United States, the FBI actually spied on President Trump and my campaign. I mean, there were documents released this week that the CIA actually made a referral uh, to the FBI documenting that those allegations were coming from the Hillary Clinton campaign. And of course, we've all seen the avalanche, the, what, what you put the country through for, for the better part of, of three years until it was found that there was no obstruction, no collusion, case closed. And then, Senator Harris, you and your colleagues in the, in the Congress uh, tried to impeach the President of the United States over a phone call. And now Hillary Clinton has actually said to Joe Biden that under, in her words, under no circumstances should he concede the election. So, so who are really worried about refusing election results? Who, who is really of concern here for rejecting the expressed will of the American people through a free and fair election? It's Democrats, friends. There was no Republican movement in 2012 to uh, to pretend Obama didn't really win or to to you know unseat him or impeach him or have a special counsel against him. Look at the record with Democrats. You have an impeachment against Donald Trump over the Ukraine phone call, phone call, which was just crazy town. The whole thing was crazy town, and we know it didn't go anywhere. Was never going anywhere. But Nancy Pelosi's nuts. She's a rich you know nutty old lady. And you had the three-year-long special counsel investigation based on Hillary Clinton campaign uh, dirt dossier. Totally false, but that led to a special counsel and all the other stuff. And the whole point of special counsel was to create the grounds for removing Trump from office through impeachment and removal in in the Senate. So that was the point of it. So it's not like it didn't at least give them something, but it didn't give them enough. There were the marches of people saying, not my president after Trump won. I remember that that was happening here in New York and other places. So they just immediately rejected it. Uh, There was the special counsel during the Bush administration of Scooter Libby. So this is their favorite tactic. They get a special counsel to go after the top people in the administration as a weapon. Over the completely farcical, oh, Valerie Plame, she's in so much crap. I was in the CIA. It's crap. The whole thing was nonsense. But, you know, they were going after Bush people and Bush got very unpopular at that point because of the Iraq war and was going on Afghanistan, the war on terror. And nobody was willing to step up and say, this is not meant for this. This is this is really unconstitutional, actually, to create this body of uh, investigative partisan hacks who aren't really accountable. Anyway, and then you have the 2000 election. Who didn't who didn't accept the results? Al Gore. Who kept taking it to court? Al Gore. So you have this long line of actions taken by Democrats meant to ignore election results. But last night, we're at Donald Trump, uh, or rather Mike Pence has asked, what if Donald Trump doesn't accept the results of the election? Where is there any evidence for that? Hillary Clinton has said Democrats shouldn't accept the results of the election. Democrats have been setting up mail-in balloting intended in my mind not only to try to help them win through possibly fraudulent means but also to create the grounds for rejecting the election results based upon you know i've been i've been predicting this too that they would reject the grounds for the election results based upon the very changes to the election process that they insisted on oh okay 
That's where we are. That's where we're heading. And yet Mike Pence had to feel that question last night. Isn't it so interesting, friends, the way the uh, journos play the game? Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. All right, team, very fortunate here to be joined by Mercedes Schlapp. She is a senior advisor of the Trump campaign. You see her on Fox and across all media outlets all the time. Mercedes, thanks for uh, making the time. Well, thank you for having me. I'm actually live from the Women for Trump bus. It's a big pink bus going through uh, Pennsylvania. We've had several stops here in uh, near Pittsburgh, and it's been a very enthusiastic crowd uh, ready to win and come November. Tell us about this this uh, ready for uh, women for Trump rather uh, this this whole campaign. What do you, who's a part of it? What's the what's the next itinerary? And what are you telling the ladies out there? Because we all know that uh, particularly suburban women voters are a very coveted demographic in this upcoming battle. Well, I think one of the phenomenons that we have found when we've been on the road for so much, and we've been on this bus. Uh, it's been going for over close to over 100 days, uh, has been the incredible response from women, women who are leading many of these field offices, women who are making phone calls, knocking on doors, you know, basically saying we have to get President Trump reelected, very concerned about the direction that the Democrats have taken, where they really have uh, abandoned any sort of moderate policies, moved to the far left on so many of the issues. And, uh, and, you know, we uh, really spend a lot of time talking to these women and, and it, they get out the vote effort. So uh, today on the bus, it's, I'm with Katrina Pearson, uh, another senior advisor in the campaign, one of the originals for 2016. Uh, Laura Trump uh, is joining us as well. And, you know, I just got to tell you, we feel very strongly that it's important to be in contact with these voters, uh, let them know that the president is incredibly grateful for the work that they're doing. And obviously during this time that we know that the president has been fighting for us, fighting for America, and it's our turn to fight for him, get him to the finish line, and continue to really expose the far-left agenda of Kamala and uh, and Joe Biden, which we know even yesterday in the, in the vice presidential camp uh, debate, Kamala couldn't even answer basic questions like, will they pack the court? You can see a little bubble over her head saying, well, of course we're going to pack the court, but they're not willing to be transparent and honest with the American people. Speaking of Mercedes Schlapp, senior advisor for the Trump campaign. She's out on the road trying to make things happen so that Trump gets four more years. Mercedes, uh, specifically from the, the woman, women voters that you're talking to out there, and, and especially in these swing states where everyone's going to have such a focus for the next few weeks here as we get into the final stretch, what are the biggest things that they're wanting to ask about and what are their what is what's the top of their list of concerns right now i mean i know it's going to be one of the things we but i want to know from from what you're hearing what are they putting at number one number two i would say uh number one and number two are clearly the economy and ensuring that we're able to uh, build a strong economy a robust economy uh and they've seen president trump do it once and uh they're they know he's going to do it again and we've seen obviously a lot of progress in that area uh you know, in the recent jobs numbers where we've created over 11 million jobs in the last four months. And so the other piece of this, I would say, is safe communities. It's this idea that we've seen a lot of chaos on the streets and the fact that he, the president, has made it very clear uh, that law and order is a priority 
and that uh, that we're able to that we don't report on defunding the police, that we hone in on community say community policing, community safe safety, and that's also another priority. And of course, you know, COVID is on the minds of so many of these women voters. You know, it has been exhausting. Uh, to raise children during this time, to make ends meet uh, during this time of dealing with the global pandemic. And this idea that Joe Biden really has no plan, as Vice President Mike Pence said yesterday, yesterday, they're literally plagiarizing what President Trump and the Vice President have already offered and what the plans that we have put in place. And what's so shocking to me is the fact that, you know, I know the Democrats want to use coronavirus, as you know, Jane Fonda said, that this is a God, God's gift to the Democrats to politicize this whole issue, that's disgraceful. Uh, we're in a global pandemic. The president is fighting hard to make sure that we're able to develop the vaccines, to get the therapeutics to market, uh, so that the American people who are inflicted with coronavirus can uh, get better and get healthy. And the other piece of this is that we can't be in lockdown indefinitely. It is really causing a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, uh, for our youth, for our families, uh, we need to be able to reopen our economies and our schools safely and responsibly. And that's what the president is focused on, to ensuring uh, that we can move in that direction, as opposed to Joe Biden, which wants to end some of the media that want to make sure that we all live in fear. Mercedes, what are we expecting now for the next presidential debate? As of uh, As of today, we've heard... The Biden campaign wants it to be a virtual debate. And the Trump campaign, as of the latest reporting I've seen, says, oh, there's not going to be a virtual debate. What can you tell us? Well, what was shocking was that I call them the Communist Commission of Presidential Debates. I mean, they've got like never Trumpers on there. And one of the things that you, what I'm finding with them is that they literally made this unilateral decision on moving forward with a virtual debate without even talking to the campaigns about it. Just think about that. And that's what's so disturbing, is the fact that uh, they're, they're looking to protect Joe Biden. They know that the president had a very strong night. They know that Mike Pence won the debate yesterday. And so at this point, it just seems that they have no interest in uh, ensuring that this conversation and this important conversation happens between the two presidents. Uh, between the two candidates, I should say. And so I think it's important to, to really um, understand that this was a unilateral decision made by the commission. They did not discuss it with the campaigns, and that is incredibly problematic. So we're hoping and what we're looking to do is to move the debate a week later, have the two debates, one uh, October 22nd, the next October 29th, and let's have that discussion where the American people can see these two men in person, being able to, you know, describe what their visions are for America. And that is, I think, what we're uh, what the goal is at this time. Mercedes Schlapp, senior advisor for the Trump campaign out there on the trail, on the bus, doing the work. Mercedes, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck to you. Thank you so much.